Welcome to New Birth Christian Ministries. We are glad you are joining us today. Our services will begin shortly. Here at New Birth, our mission is to transform our families, our schools, our community, and our city by introducing everyone to Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that Christ will change their hearts and baptize them into His family by the Holy Spirit called New Birth. The New Birth experience will begin shortly. Not just for the holiday, but, but as a lifestyle, having a lifestyle of being grateful, a lifestyle of being thankful. And so last week we learned that we've been called to be thankful because there are some things that we've messed up that we can't fix. There are some things that you and I have broken that you and I cannot fix. And we are thankful that God is a fixer. We are grateful because we know the fixer. And we said a couple things. Uh, we, we said um, our better, what we think is better, is often broken. What we think is the better way is the broken way because our better comes from a broken place. We also learned that sometimes when you're going through some things, you got to check your pocket and make sure you don't have a receipt for Tarshish, which means that you paid the down payment on some disobedience. You've done some things that got you into the situation that you're in. But what's amazing is that the storm that you're in was tailor-made just for you at times because the storm will remind you of who you are. And so we pick back up in our final week. This week, we'll be in the book of Psalm. We'll be in Psalm 100. Go to Psalm 100. We're going to read a couple of verses in Psalm 100. And it says in verse 1, a psalm of praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that have made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4 gets good. It says, enter into his gates with what? With thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and it does what? His truth endureth to all generations. Now, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that's happened so far during this service. We ask that at this moment you will begin to quiet every single distraction, every single lie of the enemy, every single thought that's not of you, Every single burden that has tried to hold us down, we lay it at your feet. We thank you for today. We thank you for this moment. We don't take it lightly that we are in the house of the Lord. We thank you for your word, for you tell us, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There has been some things that have been trying to overtake us, but we thank you for your shadow. We thank you for your shelter. We thank you that you are a fortress and that you are a refuge. And we run to you because the righteous who run to you are saved. So, Lord, at this moment, we ask that we can hear from you, not from a man, but from you. Challenge us so that we may continue to grow and be thankful through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, when you look at this particular psalm, it is the final in a series of 
a themed psalm. Uh, there are 11 of these themes that we look at. It starts at 90. It continues through 100. And the theme is that his faithfulness continues through all generations. If you look at 90, it will keep telling you in 90, 91, 92, 93, and so on. It brings you back to the remembrance that God is faithful through all generations. For 11 chapters, the psalmist is pinning, he is writing, he is thankful and thinking about how good God is and how he's done it from generation to generation. And chapter 100 is the culmination of this particular cluster that includes a five-verse breakdown of what you and I should do and how we should respond to a God who's been faithful from generation to generation. A God who's been faithful to my father, a God who's been faithful to my mother, to a God who's been faithful to grandma, a God who's been faithful to grandpa, a God who's been faithful to great-grandma, a God who's been faithful to great-great-grandpa. Listen, I'm grateful for a God who kept great-great-great-grands because if he did not keep great-great-great-grands, there would not be me. And so the verse begins to go verse by verse to remind you and to inform you of how you should move and how you should honor a God who, when you're in his presence, it shows you what you should be doing. Uh, a God who's been faithful from what? Generation to generation. It is his faithfulness to the previous generations that even allows you and me to experience his faithfulness on today. And so Psalm 100 in particularly is a call to praise the Lord. But even more specifically, it gives you instructions on how you should do it. Because a God like this, you can't just give him any old thing. A God who's been faithful from generation to generation does not deserve just whatever I got. Does not just deserve whatever I can do at the moment or whatever I feel like giving him. The text starts off and says what? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Okay, um, the word noise. There's a lot of noise happening in the world. Turn on the news, noise. Turn on radio, noise. Open up your phone and Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, what? noise. You go to places and people bringing noise to you. And unfortunately, there's a lot of noise that happens inside the church. The quote is not to make a noise, but it specifies that the noise should be a joyful noise. Um, see, there are some people who make noise for the sake of making noise. Okay, yes, um, a sound is being made, but it's not the sound that's being requested from God. There are some people who make noise for the sake of hearing themselves. Yes, a sound is being made, and yes, it may sound good to them, but it's not the sound that's being requested in Psalm 100. This is why the enemy fights us so much in the area of praise and worship. Because if he can get you to not make a joyful noise, he can impact your mood, he can impact your walk, and eventually he'll impact your relationship. Even when you consider worship and liturgy in the church, which just means the corporate worship, the enemy does everything in his power to impact the corporate worship of the church. Which is why you see such a fight in a standpoint, not only in the music ministry, but how you respond to the ministry of music in the church. Okay. Y'all don't want to talk this morning. Um, if there is a song that you do not like, 
or a singer that you do not take kindly to, who's not hitting the notes to your liking. Our flesh may cause us to sit and not participate. If the song is too contemporary for your liking, your flesh will cause you to sit and not participate. We say that's too new. That's, that's some new school stuff. It's too upbeat. If the song is not deep enough to your liking, if it's not a hymn enough or traditional enough, we are tempted to sit and not participate. And so, therefore, we fail to make a joyful noise because the flesh is not appeased. Okay. But regardless of who is leading the song, regardless of how wide their vocal range may be, regardless of how wide their note range may be, I should be so focused on my own song based on what I know about God and what God has done for me that the song from the stage should not matter. I should be singing my own song based on my own experience, based on my own relationship, based on what God has done for me this morning, based on what God has done for me yesterday, based on what God did for me last week, that I don't even hear who's leading because I'm singing to a God who did something for me. I don't know what he's done for you, but I know exactly what he did for me. And so I'm singing to the top of my lungs because he's been good to me. No, don't think about it. If I have decided to give God glory and to give him glory for myself, it is hard for me to hear your note when I'm singing my own note. Okay, um, I used to have this issue singing in church because I can't sing. And I would say to myself, well, if I sing too loud, the person next to me will know I can't sing. But then the Lord began to show me, well, if the person next to you is singing, they shouldn't be able to hear what you're singing. See, see, the more I sing my own song, the less I can hear the person next to me singing. The more I sing my own song, the less I can hear what the person on stage is singing. And when you take this attitude into your corporate worship, it does not matter how good the band is. does not matter how well they play. The worship is not dictated by the band. It is not dictated by the singer. My worship is dictated by what I've experienced for God in my own life. You can have one guitar with one string, with one strum, doing the same thing over and over, and God is so good in your life that you don't care how bad it sounds, you don't care how messed up it may be, you don't care if the mic keep on going in and now you're going to praise God regardless, not because the sound is so good, but because he is so good. Is there anybody who can say, I don't care about what the lead singer sounds like. I don't care about what the musicians sound like. I only care about what's in my spirit and what God has done for me, and I'm going to make a joyful noise regardless of how good the singer is. No matter how good the singing is and the praise and worship is, your praise won't be dictated by the singing. Your praise won't be dictated by the music because you're not here for a concert. But instead, you showed up because you're a part of the choir. Okay. Uh, live stream, don't hate me. Facebook, don't hate me. But, but this is why the Bible continues to remind us that we should not forsake the coming together. Now, now, before y'all start texting and emailing, I know some of y'all have not been able to make it into the house due to sickness and due to moving across the country. I'm not talking about you. This is for the people who have decided that they're members who just watch online. God bless you, but, 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 but the Bible directs us that in-person 
gathering together is something that believers are called to do. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, corporate worship is not a man-made idea. It is not something that people just made up to try to get you in the house to be able to give your tithes and offering. That's not the reason for corporate worship. If you look all through scripture, he reminds us that we're not to forsake the fellowship. If you look at Acts 2 and 42, he says, listen, they devoted themselves to the apostles, to the teaching and the fellowship and to what? The breaking of bread and to prayers. That's coming together. It then tells you in Hebrews 10, 25, do not neglect meeting together. Then he tells you in 1 Timothy 4.13 that we are to devote ourselves to what? To the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching because it is when you're getting a setting together with other people who are making a joyful noise, you then can grow in the knowledge of the Lord. You then begin to grow and edify the believer next to you and the believer behind you. You're able to encourage your brother. It is not about marking it off on your list and say, you know what? I got my church in for the week, but this right here is a refilling station for you to come and be able to refill yourself and refill your cup for all the hell and high water you got to go through through the week, and that's why we come together to fellowship and corporate worship. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, because noise itself can be distracting. Okay, there are some people who make noise for the purpose of distracting you. In your life right now, there are some noisy people. Some noisy and some nosy people. There are some people who are just there to make noise in your life. They're on assignment to make noise. The noisy people will say to you, you don't need church. You don't got to be sitting in the building to be saved. And they're right. But if I'm saved, I should want to come to church and be around other believers so that I can grow. Noisy people will bring false witness against you. They'll bring you lies. They'll bring you gossip. Noisy people will speak all kind of evil and manner against you. Noisy people speak powerless. They speak fancy words. They speak deep sayings, but they have no spirit behind them, no anointing in their words. They're just noisy. See, I'm not referencing just any noise or whatever noise I decide to put together. But the Bible tells me to do what? Make a joyful noise. Okay, what kind of noise? Joyful. Um, joyful, the root word of joyful would be what? Joy. In the Hebrew, roah. See, not everybody can experience real joy. Because joy is reserved for believers. Now, anybody can experience happiness. But only believers can experience the joy of the Lord, which means that only believers can make a joyful noise. Okay, you have to remember how joy is cultivated. Joy is not a man-made phenomenon, but joy only comes from the Lord. And one place that joy comes from and where it's cultivated in is from being in God's presence. So the question we had to ask ourselves is, well, if I want to make a joyful noise, how do I obtain joy and how do I continue to cultivate joy in my life? Well, you got to be in his presence. Psalm 1611. Psalm 16, go, go to it. Psalm 16. Let me show you this. Psalm 1611 simply says, in thy presence is the what? The fullness of joy. So in his face, 
in his presence, at his feet, is where I can experience not just joy, but the fullness of his joy. Joy is born and grown in the presence of God. So therefore, it takes relationship. It takes me being in his presence. And, and really, the most common form of presence used in the Bible is a word called panem, and it translates to face, which implies that I need to have a close encounter with God. Okay, let me help you out. Uh, just showing up at church does not always result in a close encounter that's personal with you and God. Because there are some people who've been to church for 20 years but have never experienced a close encounter with God. There's no real personal relationship. There's a church relationship and a church affiliation, but there's no personal face-to-face -face relationship. Because one thing about the presence of God is the presence of God can be witnessed, which means that you can be here while other people are engaged in the presence, and you can spectate the presence, but never take part in the presence. So I can be here and see you in the presence of God, and see you worshiping, and seeing you basking in his glory, which means I'm here and I spectated it, but it does not mean that I personally got consumed or involved in it. See, when the spirit fell at Pentecost, there were some people who were consumed in the experience through personal experience with the Holy Spirit. But then there were some people who were there to just spectate. They can tell you what they saw. They can tell you what happened, but they have no idea how it felt to be in it. That's why you can't be looking at other people's experience and see them running and see them dancing and be laughing and talking all crazy about other people because you're here to spectate it, but you can't feel what they feel. You ain't been through what they've gone through. You ain't got the kind of encounter that they've had. Don't let anybody talk down on you for how you worship, for how you run, for how you roll, for how you jump, because that's your experience with your God. That's your joyful noise. Never let people who are noisy shut you up for making a joyful noise and what I had to learn was that I gotta stop coming to church just to spectate but I gotta show up to participate because when the spirit of God is in the room I want to be consumed in it I want to be in it I want to experience the, 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 the consuming fire of his glory anybody want to experience the glory you didn't come to spectate you didn't come to watch you didn't come from a feel-good feeling but you came here to meet him face to face and the way we obtain the joy of the Lord is through personal encounter but it also is cultivated when you look in the New Testament in Romans 15, Romans 15 and 13, um, joy also comes in other places. They say, may God fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. So therefore, not only is joy cultivated and obtained in the encounter, my face-to-face -face encounter, my face-to-face -face relationship with God, but it's also cultivated through believing, through faith and through believing in God. In Scripture, he testifies that God will fill you with all joy and all peace in believing. It is through my faith in Jesus, my faith in a holy God, that I grow in the presence of God and that joy is fortified. And finally, it is the work of the Holy Spirit because, remember, it is a fruit of the Spirit. 
Joy is not about your family upbringing. Joy is not about your money. Joy is not about your cars. Joy is not about houses. Me singing because I got things is not a good test of joy. But joy is being able to sing even when you got nothing. With nothing, you'll get in the presence and still have joy. It's still full. With nothing, you'll still be able to raise his name and lift his name up high. With nothing, you'll be able to turn down your flesh and say, God is still good in spite of what I'm going through. And even in tribulation, you got joy through the work of the Spirit. See, I can come into the sanctuary when I got joy. I have lost my job. I can be upset about losing my job. I can be crying about losing my job. But the moment I begin to think about how faithful God has been from generation to generation, from day to day, from month to month, when I allow myself to participate in praise and worship, when I reflect on who he is, how amazing he is, how mighty he is, my unemployed self will make a joyful noise unto the Lord that I have you thinking I was the CEO of the company. That's what happens when you got joy. When my bank account's super low, I can begin to come into the sanctuary as praise and worship is gone, and it don't matter what they singing. I'll begin to think about the fact that every bill has been paid, that I have not missed a beat, that even though, listen, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, are they see begging for bread? I ate breakfast this morning. I got plans for lunch this afternoon. I got dinner for tonight. So my broke self will begin to give God glory and make a joyful noise like I just hit the lotto. Is there anybody? Who can testify that regardless of what's happening to you or around you, you got a joyful noise in your belly. Can you stand on your feet for 15 seconds and give God some glory for all that he's done, for all that he is, for how amazing and mighty he is, for how he kept you throughout this week on the highways and byways. See... What I've been learning, what I had to realize is that being able to make a joyful noise is a privilege. This is a privilege that you and I have been given to make a joyful noise. The fact that I got access to joy is a privilege. And it's a privilege that's been birthed out of God's presence. It's birthed out of the faith I have been given and exercised in the spirit that he sealed me with. Okay, we're only on verse 1. Y'all got to come on so we can come on. Psalms 101 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Then it says, all ye lands. Um, in, in, in the Hebrew, all ye lands means all the earth. So, so he's not just specifying a particular small group. But based on the psalm, he's referencing and pointing worship to the entire earth. That the entire earth is supposed to respond to a holy and perfect God and attempt to make a joyful noise. See, the psalm right here is an answer to every single divisive thing we see in society. This right here is the cure to every single issue we got with each other. No matter your politics, the Lord deserves a joyful noise from you. No matter your ethnicity, the Lord is worthy of a joyful noise from you. No matter your age, your record, your degree, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It is proper that all lands, all people, all languages, all nations, all creeds unite on this one thing, that God is deserving of a joyful noise. 
You know, Sunday is the most segregated day on earth. We got black churches, we got white churches, but, 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 but God has called us to all be what? One church, one people, one language, the language of worship. And there's this lie that's been circulating, this unhinged fable that the gospel is not for everybody. When in fact, the gospel is the most inclusive thing that we have. It is the mandate that Jesus made to you and I to go and make disciples of what? All nations, all the earth. So in the psalm, the whole earth is commanded to make a joyful noise because essentially it is the mission of the believer to make disciples of the entire earth so that the entire earth can in fact make a joyful noise. It's not a black gospel or a white gospel or a Republican or a Democratic, but all nations. And I'm thankful that he allowed me and my imperfect self to take part in a perfect gospel that includes me. This does not pertain to one nation only. It's not confined just to the Hebrew people, but the foundation was set for all nations, all languages, all people to unite. And the reason that people from different backgrounds can unite, if you continue to look at the scripture, the reason that people from New Albany can unite with people from Mount Vernon Avenue and people from Gehenna can unite with people from Southfield and people from West can unite with people from high, East High School is because we know the God of the nation. But, but he tells you in verse 3 why we all can connect. If you look in verse 3, he says, um, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Okay, the reason I can come together and make a joyful noise with you is because he made both of us. Now, now when you unpack the statement, it should bring us to the realization of a couple of things. I'll let you go home after this. Listen, um, the first thing you should understand since he made us. My dependence should be on him. Everything that I am, everything that we are, everything that we have did not originate with us. No matter how much you think you got it out the mud, it originated with him. It did not start with me, did not begin with me, but it is hinged on him being God. And we've become a culture and a society where we hang our hats on what you've been able to accomplish. We hang our hat and we hang who we are on the degree and hope that the degree will fulfill us. We hang our hat on the career and hope the career will fulfill us. We hang the hat on the six and seven, seven figure bank accounts and, and hope that that'll fulfill us. But, but all the things that you hang your hat on are vanity because it gets us away from the truth that everything we are Everything that we see, everything that exists, everything that works only works because he is God and you must be dependent on him. He said he made us. And since he made us, all that we see, all of us, it not only speaks to our dependence on him, but it also speaks to the power that he possesses. When you think about the fact that everything, not some things, not a little bit of things, not certain things in certain areas, but everything exists because of him. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. It testifies to his power. Then it goes to further explain in the verse that not only are we his people, not only did he make us, but, but we are his people and the sheep of the pasture. Now, I want to stop here real quick. Um. The Bible continues to, to speak to us and to give us the analogy and the relationship that exists between God and man. Um, and that we are sheep and he is the shepherd. This is important because when you consider the makeup of a sheep, 
they're not the most capable animal. I said, Lord, why I got to be a sheep? How come I couldn't be a lion or a tiger or a bear? Oh, my. Um, sheep do not have the physical qualities that are needed like other mammals may have to help them be able to even defend themselves in the wild. They can't even survive by themselves in the wild. They don't have sharp teeth. They don't have claws to fight with. Uh, they're not very fast, so they can't run away quickly. They can't jump very high. They can't get themselves out of danger. However, the one thing about the sheep is the sheep is smart enough to form and stay in community with each other for the purpose of guarding themselves through keeping safe distance from predators and things they may seek to take them over. But more importantly, they never take their eye off where the shepherd is at. Because they know if they can stay in the vicinity of the shepherd, then one thing about the shepherd, the shepherd's never going to let anything happen to his sheep. The shepherd not only is there to defend his sheep, but the shepherd will always put the sheep in position where they can graze in green pastures, where they know they can thrive. He never takes them out of a position where they are going to be able to thrive. He leads them beside what? The still waters. He, he protects them for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Listen, for the shepherd is with me. What happens? His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Then he prepares a table before me in the presence of of the enemy, but it gets really good. He anoints my head with oil. Now, let me stop right there. Now, remember, we're sheep. He's the shepherd, and we're the sheep of his pasture. The reason the shepherd would anoint the head with oil, remember a few weeks back, we talked about how oil has healing properties, that, that oil is not necessarily just about you getting a cross on your forehead and passing out on the altar. That's not just what the oil was for. But, but, but back then, the oil was used for healing, but also for protection. And the reason that the shepherd would anoint the sheep's head with oil was because there was pestilence that would take place out in the field. So the shepherd would have to place oil on the head of the sheep. Because it would help protect him from the pestilence because there were certain bugs and certain flies that would land on the nose of the sheep. And what they would do is they would lay their eggs inside the nose of the sheep. And what would happen is when those eggs open up, the larva would go into the brain of the sheep. And the sheep would experience this itching and this pain, and they would not be able to function efficiently. Instead, they would keep on hitting their head and hitting their head on things to try to scratch what they could not get to because what was happening to them was not external, but it was internal. So what happened is that he would anoint their head with oil because it would cause the flies and the bugs to not be able to get inside and be able to mess with their mind. Okay, I'm going somewhere here. The reason he anoints my head with oil is because he knows there's some pesty people. People, there's some pestilence that's going to try to annoy you. It's going to try to get in your mind. But I thank God for the anointing oil over me, his sheep, so that it keeps some people away who've been trying to nag in my ear, who've been trying to be pesty in my life. Is there anybody who thanks God for the oil that's on your life? Listen, you've been hitting your head trying to fix the issue, trying to fix the problem, but I thank God for the anointing oil that brings healing in my life. I ain't got to keep on hitting my head over and over again because I've been anointed with the oil. The shepherd knew that 
there would be some annoyances that would try to stop you and me from functioning effectively. He knew there'd be some pests, some people that would come buzzing around in your life. Some people who would try to plant some lies and hope that those lies grow in your mind and try to plant some things in your character, hope those things grow in your character. Some people who take stabs at you and try to assassinate your character. But I know this is why he anointed me with the oil. He anointed us to keep you from beating your head with the annoyances. Uh, listen, uh, I will not be tormented by the pest. I will not be tormented by the enemy. So he anoints my head with oil because the good shepherd knows how to take care of the sheep. Okay, but one thing about the sheep also, um, man, the, 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 the reason he anoints my head with oil is because one thing about sheep that's different than other mammals and animals is that they create a hierarchy within themselves. And when you create hierarchies, when you create the pecking order, that means that sheep are often going to butt heads. Part of them creating the pecking order is for them literally to run their heads into each other. So what sheep often do is often fight with each other. Daily, all day, all night, they fight, fight, fight with each other. Okay. He knew exactly what he was doing when he called us sheep. Since they don't bite, they don't claw, they just run their heads into each other. Two sheep are just butt heads over and over and over because they're disagreeing with each other. Can't be around each other. Can't be in the same vicinity. They in the good pasture but ain't thinking about that. Just mad at each other, button heads. So what he does is he anoints both of their heads with oil because he knows that it will reduce the impact of them butting heads. And so he anoints them so the oil would just slide off of each other without them damaging each other more than they need to be damaged. Okay, I'm going somewhere here. Some of y'all have had some issues with each other, but the shepherd knew exactly what to do to keep you from hurting one another. Many of us right now got issues with people behind us and around us, but I thank God that even his anointing oil is causing me to have to be agreeable with some people I don't want to be agreeable with. Causing me to love on some people I don't really want to love on, but I thank God it's only because of the anointing that you and me with differences, you and me with issues can come into the house of the Lord and make a joyful noise together. And last but not least, and I'll let you go home, the reason he anoints my head with oil is because the oil is anointing. The oil is healing. The shepherd is aware that the sheep live outside where they can be impacted by weather and cuts and barbed wire fences and all that kind of injury and things that happen and uh, um, uh, um, predators that may try to try to bite them and get them. And so the oil is placed on the head to facilitate the healing process that occurs in the environment that they're in. Many of us have had to deal with some rough environments, some cuts, some bruises. You came in this morning limping. 
spiritually you're limping, emotionally you're limping. There's some, some burdens on your heart. There's some things that you keep thinking about and trying to figure out how you're going to fix it, how you're going to get through it. You came in limping, but, but, but you had to endure some hardship. You had to endure some pain. You had to endure some trauma, had to endure some drama. But I can make a joyful noise because I know the good shepherd who can provide healing in my situation. The good shepherd who anoints my head with oil, the good shepherd who causes my cup to run over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when I get into his house, I'm not going to be able to contain myself. Is there anybody who can't wait to get into the house? I mean, you ain't in a rush to get there, but you know when you get there, you're not going to be able to contain yourself. I won't be able to take a seat. I won't be able to contain myself. I can't keep it cool when I get into the house, but I got to make a joyful noise unto the Lord because of what he brought me through and how he brought me out and how he's keeping me. I got to make a joyful noise because he's a good shepherd. I got to make a joyful noise because he kept me. I got to make a joyful noise because he provided for me. I got to make a joyful noise because he loves me. I got to make a joyful noise because he's a good father. I got to make a joyful noise. He provided for me. I got to make a joyful noise. He healed me. I got to make a joyful noise. He's keeping me. I got to make a joyful noise. He's healed my mind. I got to make a joyful noise. He's healed my body. I got to make a joyful noise. He's made a way. I got to make a joyful noise. I'm going to lift my hands because I got to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise, all the land. I got to make a joyful noise. I'm thankful. I'm thankful because of who he is. I'm thankful because of what he's done for me. And if he never does anything else, I still got enough to make a joyful noise for. I still got more than enough to praise him for. I still got more than enough to thank him for because he's good. Praise and worship team, you can come. What's amazing about the sheep and the shepherd relationship, that there's often times that sheep, you always got that one sheep that loves to go astray. Which is why it's so amazing that Jesus talks about not only the 99, but going to get the one that went astray. And when you look at the Bible and you look at culture, you begin to understand when you look at David's life and him being a shepherd boy and the fact that he would carry a slingshot with him, there was a reason that he would have the slingshot. It was not only to defend the sheep against predators, but it was also for the purpose of bringing the sheep back into the fold. Now, now what do I mean by that? So when you had the one sheep that always would go to his own devices and go its own way, you got to remember, sheep are very scary animals. So what the shepherd would do is he would take his slingshot and he would fling a rock ahead of the sheep that keeps going astray to hit the bushes over there. To scare the sheep to come back to the sheepfold. Well, sheep also learn quickly. And so eventually the sheep begins to understand that. Ain't nothing over there. Ain't no real danger over there. That's just 
the shepherd bringing me back to keep me from some real danger. And so eventually that sheep that has learned that it's just the shepherd throwing a rock will continue to go astray. So what the shepherd has to do, he has to leave the other 99 sheep, the other sheep who've been listening, the other sheep who are grazing in the pasture, and his compassion for all of his sheep makes him be a shepherd that says, I can't leave one behind. So what he does is he goes and he gets that sheep, the sheep that keeps going astray, the sheep that keeps doing his own thing, the sheep that won't walk with the rest of the sheep. And so what he does is he breaks that sheep's legs. And now he takes that sheep and puts that sheep on his shoulder. And he has to go weeks and weeks of carrying that sheep. As the sheep is going through its healing process. Now what's amazing about this. I said, Lord, this doesn't make sense. It, it puts more work on the shepherd. Now he got to carry this sheep. The disobedient one. The one that didn't want to listen. The one that kept going his own way. The one that wanted to do his own thing. Breaks the leg. I said, Lord, that's, that's a lot. So while the sheep is healing, he's being carried by the shepherd. When the sheep finally heals and is able to walk on his own, he's so used to being with the shepherd that he refuses to leave the shepherd's side. Because in his brokenness, he had the closest fellowship than any of the other sheep. And I don't know who I'm talking to in here today. But in your brokenness is where you would develop your relationship with the shepherd. As our prayer warriors come, if that's you today, you want to come back to the shepherd. I want you to come. Make your way to the altar. We want to pray with you. Even in brokenness, we want to pray with you. Even in hurt, we want to pray with you. Even in pain, make your way to the altar because the shepherd has something amazing just for you. The relationship you are about to experience is one like never before. And if that's you, do not delay, but make your way to the altar right now. Run to this altar right now. Do not delay. Do not let the enemy stop you and keep you where you are. Come on, make your way to the altar. Come, come. The shepherd. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. He made us and not we ourselves. His love and mercy endures from generation to generation. 